Lord, we rejoice in you. The gospel is simple, Lord. You have offered us freely salvation in Christ Jesus. It wasn't simple for him to accomplish, Lord, but it's, it's easy for us to acknowledge. So help us today, Lord, as we continue to wrestle with our salvation, as we continue to learn more about you and become more like you. To that end, Holy Spirit, we invite you to be a part of this service today to speak to our hearts and to our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. You know, I wish I had known that the set was going to be what it is. It's not complete yet because I would have had my opening line to be, let's talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been proper? That would have been great. But we're going to talk about something a little more serious than an elephant in the room. And it may be an elephant to you. It has to do with choices. Every single day, every one of you, and I'm included in that group, are faced with choices. Circumstances come. We create some of them. Others just happen to be there because that's life. And we have to decide how we're going to deal with that particular circumstance. Quite often, the circumstance will bring fear. It'll cause you to worry and doubt and, and be concerned. And you get so consumed by the circumstance that that fear, if you buy into it, will lead you into chaos. The alternative choice is to choose faith. By faith, we mean faith in Jesus Christ, the man of action. Faith that he will lead us into order out of chaos, into faith out of fear. So that's the topic for the morning, that at the end of the day, you have to make a choice about every circumstance that is in your life. Mark has written an amazing gospel. It's different from the other three. It seems as though Mark has just picked a few key things that God wants us to know about to help us mature and become more like Christ. And that's what he does in this fourth chapter. Because in this chapter, he's going to challenge us with this whole thought of, is it fear or is it faith? Now, let me set the opening for you like this. Jesus had had a big day. I mean, what was unusual about that? Every day was a big day for Christ. He got up early. He went. He prayed to the Father. He sought the Father's direction. And then he began his ministry, telling people, the kingdom of God is in your midst, and I am its king. And then proving that point by casting out demons, by healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, doing everything that was necessary among all the people that would be brought to him. This is no different day. This is a day when that's exactly what he had accomplished. And now he was tired. He was exhausted. You know, being God-man is a hard job. Only one person has ever filled it, and that's him. And so he says, hey, gang, Let's go to the other side of the lake. There's some more things I need to do. Because remember, he had said before, I want to go to all the villages. He didn't want to just stay in one place. So they load up the boats. There's several boats. There are lots of disciples. And Jesus is so exhausted that he goes to the back of the boat where there's a little seat and usually a leather cushion upon which people would sit. He lays his head on the cushion and his body on the bottom of the boat and I bet you the time the head hit the pillow, he's asleep. The disciples, though, 
They're going to take their charge and do what they need to do. And so they all get in, the ones that are in that particular boat, and they begin to row. And as they're rowing, the wind starts picking up a little. That wasn't unusual for wind to come down through the valley and hit this sea, which is actually a lake, and stir up the waters mightily, sometimes, some said, even worse than storms at sea. They had never seen one that bad, but here they were rowing, and they were beginning to be a little bit concerned. And as they rowed harder, and the wind picked up, and the waves started rising, they went from concern to, to doubt, to worry, are we going to make it here? And then the ultimate happened, and that is the water started coming into the boat, and the boat was going to go under, and, and everything seemed to be going the wrong way, and Jesus was asleep when they were concerned, and Jesus was asleep when they were worried, and Jesus was asleep now that they have fear. You know, don't accuse them because you and I say the same thing. Where were you, Lord, when I was in the midst of my circumstance and you didn't show up according to my timing? Now, were you asleep? Were you not able? What's going on? Let's see how Mark records that section in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? That's a statement of doubt, a statement of abandonment, a statement of fear. Jesus, are you asleep? It's a statement that we do often make when we say, how long, O oh Lord, do we have to put up with this circumstance? And what God is saying to us is God is the God of time. He's the God outside of time. God controls all things at all times. There's nothing outside the purview of God, outside his ability and his willingness. But what these disciples were questioning was this. He may be able, but it doesn't seem that he's willing. Or he may be willing, but we wonder if he's still able. Now, some of you have said that. Some of you have said, I just don't think God wants to do this for me. And it's because you and I have a perspective from our viewpoint of what it is that God wants to do. And we don't understand what God wants to do. Not until it's done can we look back and say, ah, yes. But until then, we have a lack of faith. Why do we have that lack of faith? C.H. Spurgeon, English preacher, said this, I suppose that the real reason for our lack of faith lies in that we have low thoughts of God compared with the thoughts of him we ought to have. We don't think him to be so mighty, so good, or so tender as he is. See, our viewpoint of God changes when the circumstances rise up and we fall under those circumstances. We quit seeing God the way he is. Now, I love this next line of Spurgeon. This is one of the best I've ever read. He says, we have leaky memories. We have leaky memories. We don't remember the great things that God has done. In your own life, do you remember them? Have you made a list of them, or are they just in your mind and heart? So that when a new circumstance arises, even if 
the elements of it are a little bit different than previously, you still know this, that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you call upon him and you're doing the things according to his will, he will answer you, but it's in his timing. But he wants you to reach back to those memories and say, oh yeah, I remember that powerful God. I have a memory in my mind that always stirs me up whenever storms are coming. In my very first pastorate, when God called my wife and I to a little town 12 or 13 miles from the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, he said, okay, you're going to go here and you're going to do ministry and these people will love you. They're farmers and fishermen. And they were wonderful people. And we started there at the end of July, 1st of August. By the second week of September, they said a hurricane is coming. This hurricane is going to hit. So one of the elders, Carl, said, Wally, Linda, you need to go back to Jackson, Mississippi, and you'll call us from there, and then when it's all over, we'll tell you what you need to do. Maybe you'll bring some generators back down. Maybe there are other ways you can help, but we don't want you to be here. You've never been through this before. We have. We'll be fine. But we'll stay in touch by phone. Now, there weren't any cell phones back then. So we packed up and we drove to Jackson, Mississippi, and I called him. And Carl said, the storm is raging. It's terrible. I wish we hadn't stayed. I miscalculated the wind is blowing so strong, he said, it looks like every tree that I can see has been cut off at about 12 or 14 feet, like a giant buzzsaw came through. It was the tornadoes inside the hurricanes. He said, everything is happening. Seven trees joined our church for worship. He said, call me back in about a half hour when the eye comes over. So I called him back, and he said, oh, it's so peaceful now. It's like nothing ever happened. But he said, I did walk outside. He said, you know that great oak that's out in our front yard, that 150-year-old oak, the one that's got about a 40-foot around oak, that kind of thing that goes up maybe 80 feet tall? He said, it's totally uprooted and lying over in another part near the house. He said, it's amazing the power and strength it took to do that. He said, it's going to take us months to cut that thing up and to get rid of it. He said, it's going to be a huge job. I just... But I'm so thankful that we're safe. He said, now the storm, the other side of it's coming. So keep praying. So we prayed. We talked. It was terrible again. He really wished he hadn't stayed. You talk about fear. He had that fear. But he also had great faith. And when it was over, no one was harmed. And I called him and he said, I'm outside. I just went outside. He said, you know that old great oak? I said, yeah. He said, God replanted it. The whole thing, sitting right back where it was, and you could not tell that it had ever been lifted out before. Now, when someone tells me, you know, you need to be concerned about the power of God, I said, let me tell you a story. <laughs> See, I don't have a leaky memory when it comes to the things that God has done. That wasn't done to me or for me, but that was powerful to be able to pick that thing up and put it back down. But it was nothing for God God made that tree. So he just spoke to an angel or he spoke to the tree. Replant. <laughs> there it was. So that's the kind of God we're supposed to remember when the fears rise up in us. But fears just keep coming no matter what we do. A friend of mine, Joseph Jennings, who 
I ministered with for a long time. He's now home with the Lord. He had a few messages he shared, and one of them was this. And this was his opening, and I'll never forget it, obviously. He said, one thing's for certain, there'll always be trouble. Troubles come and troubles go, but there'll always be trouble. You're either entering trouble right now, or you're in the middle of the trouble right now, or you're leaving trouble, but trouble is coming. Very encouraging, isn't it? But it's true. There are troubles that come. And we are called to face those troubles by faith, not by sight. Don't look at the trouble and say, oh, this trouble is so huge, God, can you handle it? I'd rather turn that around and say, God, I have a little trouble here, and it's nothing like you. Show me how to handle it. Show me what you want me to do. I have faith in you, God, that you are the deliverer. You can heal. You can strengthen. You can do it all. And that faith then lifts me above the circumstance because that's where I want to be. We're blessed today to have with us Dave and Debbie Walker who've been missionaries of this church for dozens of years. They serve in the Philippines and in Southeast Asia. And when I found out they were coming, I said, Dave, instead of coming up here and telling all about your ministry, would you have a story that relates to this message that deals with fear in your life? And in his email back, I could hear him laughing like, are you kidding? <laughs> of course I have stories like that. And the one that he's going to share with us is a, a fantastic story, not for him because of what they went through, but in the end, yes, for him. So Dave, welcome. Thank you for being here, brother. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Good, Good afternoon. It's a privilege for us to be here today and for me to share a little bit about our own boat experience in Singapore. So there we were 10 years ago, right where the Lord had led us. We were five years into a very fruitful and fulfilling ministry that extended throughout Asia. We were established, we were growing, and his presence was very palpable to us. But then the clouds of a, of a great personal storm came upon us. There were great convulsions on our ministry team, the team that we worked with. A uh, drastic change of directions was about to take place. Uh, we were having a very fruitful ministry, but our teammates, the people we worked with, they wanted to leave Singapore. Our team leader uh, wanted to shut the ministry down, and our organization agreed with him, and they made the decision to shut the whole operation down. So it seemed like the end of life as we knew it. So during those troubled times, we sought counsel. We took a five-day spiritual retreat to seek the Lord's face. We read books about making decisions and knowing the will of God. And we agonized in prayer and with fasting. So after weeks, we sensed that God was leading us in a new direction. We sensed that he was saying to us, get in the Singapore boat and let's go out together and I'll be there with you. So we went to the Singapore Board of Directors and we said to them, we wanted to stay in Singapore and develop the work, even though it meant being alone and if the team had left us. And the Singapore Board said, if you stay, we'll help you and we'll support you. Now we had this deep assurance that God was with us and that he was leading us, but we never realized that he was going to take us into deeper and darker waters. But it was in those deep and dark waters that he showed us a deeper experience of his attributes and of his character. He was going to grow our faith, and he was going to do a new thing with us. 
But first, we also didn't realize that he had to deconstruct us. So he took us into a painful process of exposing our heart idols, our lack of faith, our limited faith, our limited scope, our narrow understanding of his sovereignty and his power. He was conforming us to the image of his son. So he graciously and tenderly let us experience the storms of organizational shame, of ministry loss. We had to close our office. We had to uh, release our uh, workers that we had employed. We needed to experience fear of failure, fear of man, fear of loneliness, and fear of greater responsibility. Now he was right there, but we wondered and we agonized. It seems like he had put a sentence of death on our, on our hopes. So we thought he was sleeping, but actually he was just waiting to be gracious. Now in the text that we'll see later on, the second part of the text, uh, it says that Jesus displays his glory in three words, peace and be still, and there is immediate calm. But he knew that Deb and I needed uh, more words. We needed a longer time and more words because we're slow learners. So we felt that we were in our storm, our personal storm, for about three years. But in his graciousness, he didn't speak once to us. He spoke multiple times to us and in multiple ways, by promise, by displaying his attributes, his power, his willingness, his sovereignty, his provision. He providentially orchestrated affairs in our lives and brought people to help us. And so like the disciples in the passage, we needed to discover his power, his care, and his wisdom, and his sovereignty in new ways. So at the third year of our storm, the Singapore Board of Directors came to me and they said, well, now that you've been the national director, we want to make you the regional director, and we want you to be in charge of five countries, Thailand, Myanmar, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and we want you to assist the national churches in those countries. You see, our perplexities are God's opportunities. So the years of trials were actually years of preparation for us. So the last seven years, he's allowed Deb and I to pioneer these five countries, work in these five countries. And as catalysts, he's enabled us to facilitate dozens and dozens of churches being planted, hundreds of leaders being uh, trained, new mission sending initiatives started, and new ministries opened up. And Singapore has actually become a model for our organization by the way we form partnerships and advance the gospel. So I just wanted to encourage you today, if you are afraid, if you are overwhelmed, if you're in a panic mode, if you're perplexed by the trials and the afflictions that have come upon you, take heart. He has a loyal love for you, a covenant love, a love that does not let go. And he's actually coming in the midst of the darkness, he's coming to reveal his majestic and awesome and sovereign self and conform you to the image of his son. So thank you. So be encouraged. Thank you, David. The part about that story that concerns me the most is three years. That's a long time, isn't it? But not in God's sight because what he has formed in them was worth the three years they spent doing it. Jesus is asleep. Disciples are scared to death. They think they're going to drown. So here's what happens. He got up. Now, the Greek there actually says he arose. 
just like it says in the resurrection. He arose. So he arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus is asleep, sound asleep, having a great sleep. He's confident in his relationship with his father. The storm's not bothering him. And they come to wake him. I remember how hard of a day he had had and how tired he is. Do you wake someone like that quickly so they go right into action? I took a nap yesterday afternoon. My wife came in to wake me up. And I said, yeah, what day is it? What, what are we doing? I mean, I was so out of it in this sleep. So I think it was probably Peter. This is a guest who woke him up. Wouldn't you think that? Peter goes over and shakes him, you know, Jesus, we're perishing here. And Jesus rises up. I think that meant he actually stood up. He says, be still, be silent. And the wind stops. And they're on a lake of glass. And the guy's mouths fall to their feet. How did he do that? Really? How did he do that? But here's the beauty of it. He took care of the problem for them before he rebuked them. See, he meets our needs and then helps us grow through meeting our needs. By doing what needs to be done in your life when you have faith in him, he is going to make you better and more like himself. But you have to go through the trials. So Jesus is the creator of the winds. He's the creator of the seas. He's the one that made everything. And he's standing in a boat and he's just saying, well, this is not what I want today. So wind, stop it. You know, see, be still. And they obey. <laughs> Weather obeys. Before he had said, sun, stand still. And it did in Joshua's day. You see, our creator has no limits to himself. There is no God like our God. He is so powerful, and yet he is so loving because he turns to them and he says, in another translation, why do you have this lack of faith? Why aren't you as filled with faith as you should be by now? Don't you know who I am? They obviously didn't yet know who he is. This powerful God in the midst of the storm John Wesley and his brother Charles were traveling for the first time to the United States. They were on a ship with Englishmen and Germans. The Germans were of the Moravian sect of believers. They were very solid, conservative, Bible-based Christians. A storm rose in the Atlantic Ocean that was so terrific that it split the mainsail and it seemed that the ship was going to go under. And Wesley tells in his record of the event that he heard music and he went and he found the Moravians worshiping. And he couldn't believe it. We're all drowning and you're worshiping. What are you doing? And after the seas calmed and they had not drowned, he found one of the leaders. He said, I don't understand. Weren't you afraid? And they said, no, not at all. Because we have faith in God. I said, but what if you died? We're not afraid to die. 
That's victory. That changed Wesley's life. You see, he was not yet saved. He was not yet a believer. He was a wonderful man who loved to help people. He came to the States. He went back to England, and when he went back, he found some Moravian bishops who led him into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So that storm changed his life. That's what the storms of your life do. That's what the circumstances do. Now, here's something you need to learn. Jesus looks at you, he looks at me, and he does not see us as being here under the circumstances. Ephesians 2, 6 says, and you were raised with him and seated with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. He sees us seated with him now. Even though we're still here, he sees us there. So if I can see myself there, then I'm going to see myself above my circumstances. So don't ever come to me and say, well, how are you doing? Well, under the circumstances. No, you're not under them. You have been seated with him. You're not under any circumstances. If you're under a circumstance, it's because of fear in your life. If you have fear, then you have a spirit because Paul writes to Timothy and says, you were not given the spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. But you were given power of the Holy Spirit, love of the Father, and a sound mind, the mind of Jesus Christ. That's what you were given. And so because you have these things, then God expects you to use them. Some circumstances we bring on ourselves because of our bad decisions and choices. Some circumstances come to us just because it's life. But in every one of those situations, if you will have faith in Jesus Christ that God has not changed, then God will come to you and he will grow you through that trouble, through that circumstance. Seldom will he deliver you out of it. But most often, he will deliver you through it. Look, Jesus was in the boat with them during the storm. He didn't leave them. He was always there with them and he met their need and then he said to them, it's going to take more faith than you have right now to live this life. More faith. It takes great faith to live a life in Jesus Christ. But it's freeing because you're no longer bound by fear. When you can dispel fear through the power of God, you can claim the promises of God, wherever the Spirit is, there's freedom. Then you have that kind of freedom. I want to close with a, a story that is very current and very personal to us here because it involves a member of our church and his family. Tracy Ulrich is a professor at CMU. His wife, Mary, and their two kids, and their son, Mason, just accepted a position in Denver, Colorado. So being a good dad, you know, Tracy said, all right, let's load everything up, put your car on a rack behind us, and we're going to drive all the way down to Denver and then I'll fly back. So they left and they spent one night on their way and then they were heading toward Wichita, Kansas and Kansas City and in that area and they heard that storms were coming. And so he calls his wife Mary and says, you need to find us a room. So she found him a motel on the other side of Kansas City near the Kansas City racetrack. They'd already stopped once to get shelter when the hail was coming down and they were concerned about a tornado then, but one didn't come. And so they go to this hotel and as soon as they park, they discover 
that the man and the woman that run the hotel are storm chasers. And so they have a lot of information about this tornado that's coming. And they said, well, it's, it's a mile wide. It's coming through. It's already destroyed a town and 12 homes in that town. And it's headed for the racetrack, which is a quarter of a mile from us. And eventually, it will come to us and this hotel. So they gathered all the guests that were in the hotel, and they brought them down and put them together. And they gave them bedding and mattresses and anything they could to try to protect themselves. And I'm talking to Tracy, not during that situation, but after. And I said, so what was it like? He said, well, he said, I was texting back and forth to Mary, who was texting our family, and everybody was praying. He said it was a, it was a tenuous moment because they were doing a countdown. It's eight minutes away. It's six minutes away. It's four minutes away. I said, well, how did it feel to be with Mason during that time? He sent me his text. Here's what he said. It was kind of surreal, knowing that this might be it. I guess I'm like every parent. Every parent there was praying for our kids' survival more than our own. Of course, I told him I loved him. It was a really interesting experience and kind of hard to put words to. He told me personally, he said, you know, looking at his face, I didn't know if this was the last time I'd see him on earth, if either or both of us would die and I'd see him in heaven. I didn't know. He said, but my faith never wavered. My faith was in Jesus Christ to the very end. One minute, it's coming. It left the racetrack, which it did a lot of damage in. It was now less than an eighth of a mile from the hotel. It lifted up over the hotel, went down on the other side of it, and continued the destruction. I want them praying for me. But I don't want Mary making my reservations. <laughs> but you see how good God is? Now, had it turned out differently, we would still be celebrating. Because two men of faith were there who trust our sovereign God. They will not let fear rule them. We are no longer bondage to fear. Let's stand and worship God right now that that fear is gone. <laughs>